Come on, how about this worship today? How about this worship today? I mean, I have always, always enjoyed coming here and uh, I've always, you know, just considered it an honor and a privilege. You know, West Monroe's not that far away and and uh, every time Pastor Tony and Miss Bethany have asked me to come, I've, I've just been delighted, just honored, as, as blessed as I could be to receive the invitation. It's always been a great church. But um, how many of you know that this worship that's now flowing in this house is doing something new in the atmosphere in here. There's something about uh, the Psalms when the Bible talks about blessing God with the instruments, with the cymbals, and with the, and with the lyres, and with the harps. That sound that's being released from this house is, is piercing the heavens. It's it's piercing the heavens, but the cool thing about opening the heavens is when the heavens are open, your prayers get through and the blessings, the answers come through and come down. And so I just want to commend Pastor and Miss Bethany for always looking for opportunities to grow and expand this house, grow and expand the ministry of this house. And uh, I just want to speak blessings over Mr. St. James and what he's doing. I just speak blessings over your life and over your ministry. Thank you, my friend. And uh, I have already heard you're going to be up my way in the early part of next year. So if it's okay, I'm going to get your number from Pastor. And we'll try to grab some coffee or connect sometime between now and then. And look forward to seeing you on the north side of the Mason-Dixon sometime. How about that? <laughs> Bless you, my friend. Well, listen. I don't want to spend a lot of time with preliminaries today, but, but here's what I can promise you. I, uh, number one, I would not be relocating my entire family if I did not know that I know that I know this was God. And uh, not only do I know this is God, my wife knows this is God, and uh, it is an opportunity for, for greater levels of effectiveness uh, for the kingdom of God. And so we're just delighted and honored to have the opportunity uh, to have a season of rest. Let me tell you about the church that we're transitioning to. They said in the very early goings, um, why don't you just take some time over the holidays while you're trying to buy a home and relocate and get your children in school? Just take some time. Uh, not that anything has been wrong or been bad, but you're about to step into a new season where a lot will be demanded. Just take some time and rest. And so Jared called me this morning, and he said, are you in Vicksburg? I said, are you going to be here? He said, no, no, no. It was Wednesday when I found out, you know, you know, the policies, the policies which I set and, uh, at the Assembly West Monroe. He said, I didn't want to take off on a Wednesday, and Sundays are a big deal. And I said, I get it. And, uh, and uh, you know, when I was talking with Jared this morning about being here, I told Jared, I said, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit new and a little bit different season for me. I was just one man, and, and, and I, was feel, I felt like I was doing all that I could do at the assembly in my role, but I'm not doing that every day right now. And so what's happening is that's kind of freeing up some of my heart and some of my mind, some of my spirit to hear from the Lord. And it seems as if I've been ministering with a little bit different anointing these last several times that I've been preaching. And uh, I think we could find that in Scripture. I could show you that, uh, you know, where the things of this world to make demands on our lives, on our minds, on our spirit. Matter of fact, I'm not knocking anybody being married, but do you remember what Paul said in the book of Corinthians, he said, if you take a wife, there's no sin in that. But understand, when you take a wife, you have an obligation and a responsibility that's going to detach and detract from your responsibility to the Lord. You're going to have to share your time and your heart with the Lord and your family. Well, when you have the Lord, your family, and then a, and then a ginormous church with a ton of responsibility, it makes more demands on your time. So since I've been able to give that up and only been focusing on the Lord and my family here as of late, and uh, my heart seems to be a little more open 
and uh, God seems to be to be doing some new things in our ministry. We're excited about the relocation. I give you my word. This will not be my last time I am at Refuge Church. God help me fulfill that promise. I, uh, I uh, had a great opportunity in West Monroe, Louisiana, where I had the privilege of growing and learning and serving with so many gifted people, serving under a gifted leader there. And uh, I will always speak honor and blessings on the Assembly West Monroe and on Pastor Shane Warren and on the staff there. But I knew coming back from Canada that God was saying to me, my time was over there and to go pastor. And little did I know that I would get an opportunity to go pastor one of the great flagship churches of the north. My new church is uh, my divine assignment is in Rochester, Minnesota. It's in the Midwest, the very southeastern corner of Minnesota. It's on the birthplace of the Mississippi River on the bottom of Lake Superior. 30 minutes from Wisconsin, 30 minutes from Iowa. Does anyone know what my third favorite pastime is? God, family, and what? deer hunting. Do you know what is in Wisconsin and in Iowa and in southeastern Minnesota? Really big deer. Lots of great hunting. Great church there. Great people there. God divinely planted us there. Gave us a great uh, church to grow with. And we're just blessed by the whole thing. I mean, listen to me. If I could minister one truth out of this process we just walked through, it'd be this. God knows exactly where you're at. God never forgot your name. He never forgot his plan for your life. He has never forgot the dream he put inside of your heart. And listen to me. I have the opportunity to travel and preach and to meet people all over the world. This was not a can you hook me up? Could you get my name in? Could this was God reached down with his sovereign hand and said, I want that young man and that family, in this church, in this city, in this scenario. And what it did for me is it reminded me of just how in control God really is in every one of our lives. I know sometimes it always feels like our parents may be in control or our mayors may be in control or maybe even our governors or our presidents or our boss at the job or our pastor at the church. You know, we always seem to think other people are pulling the strings and calling the shots. But I read this Bible verse years ago that says the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. And he turns it like the waters of a river wherever he so desires. Do you ever notice in the Bible that it says that promotion doesn't come from the east, that promotion doesn't come from the west, and it also says promotion doesn't even come from the south. But did you know it never mentions the north because the Lord picks up one and appoints him and puts him in a place that he so chooses and desires, and he puts down another. What are you saying, Pastor John, today? I'm saying God knows your name. God knows the hairs on your head. God knows the aspirations of your heart, the ambitions of your life. God knows those dreams he put inside of you when you were a little boy and a little girl. And if you won't give up on them, he won't give up on you. I'm just trying to get your faith up a little bit this morning. I can minister that right now because I have just had God do that in a very sovereign and in a very divine way. And I just want to encourage you today that God has not forgotten his word to you. The Bible says when he could swear by no one greater than himself, he swore by himself, for it is impossible for God to ever tell a lie. When God made you a promise, he will keep his word to you, which is an appropriate segue into the message that I want to share today. The title of this message is the promise, the promise. I believe they've got a graphic that they're going to put up on the screen here. I looked over to Pastor a few moments ago, and I said, Pastor, did you guys look at the notes? Did you look at the scripture? Did you know what I was preaching? That first song that you guys sang ought to be, this graphic ought to have a theme song. And the theme song to this graphic should be the song that y'all sang. If I had a singing voice or I knew all of the lyrics, I would sing it and recant the lyrics to you right now to remind you and to help you see the intrinsic value of both this message and the first opening song that we begin to pierce the atmosphere with this morning. 
I would call a couple of words out of the song to you. I don't know if you, if you remember them, but in that song, the song began to sing about this light and the joy that was coming into the world and the light that's coming into the world and, and how men can now have peace and blessing and prosperity because of this light and this joy. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about the promise found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And if you've got a Bible today, I want you to turn over there with me, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And I also want you to get a pen and a piece of paper out. I won't have you write a lot down today, but trust me, I've got something for you today that will really help you if you'll let God work with you this morning, okay? Isaiah chapter 9. Verses 1 through 7, the New King James translation. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. As when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And afterwards more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in the darkness there have now seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them now a great light has begun to shine. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nations and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil of a warfare. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulders, the rod of the oppressors, as in the day of Mendia. For every warrior's sandals was noisy from the battle and his garments were rolled in blood, will be used for burning a fuel of a fire. Look at this. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name, are you ready for this, will be called Wonderful. And his name will be called Counselor. And his name will be called Mighty God. And his name will be called Everlasting Father. And his name will be called Prince of Peace. And listen to this next promise. And of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. For upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, he shall reign to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward and forever. Last promise, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Bow your heads and let's pray for just the next couple of moments. Dear Lord, most loving and gracious Heavenly Father, I ask today that you would help me to do what you've sent me here to do on my divine assignment. Father, would you use this clay vessel beyond my natural ability. May the anointing of the Holy Ghost come now to preach, to teach. And God, may your promise that you've made to this people transpire, occur, and be realized in bringing transformation in their hearts and lives today. And if you would agree with me for that in your life, I want you to give me a great big refuge, church. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't know if you know much about my ministry, and I don't have a tremendous amount of time this morning to, to, to expound on the context of this passage. But one thing about the ministry that God's given me is I believe that when the plain sense of the text makes sense, that we seek no other sense. That is one of the golden rules of interpretation. When you read a biblical passage and the plain sense, plain common sense, the horse sense, as we would say here in the deep south, makes sense. You don't seek any other sense. What other sense are you talking about? Figurative sense, uh, a metaphorical sense. If the plain sense of the text makes sense, you seek no other sense. And then also there is one more golden rule when it comes to interpreting the Bible. It's called king context. King context trumps all other aspects of interpreting the Bible. When you read a passage like Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, and it makes sense, common sense, plain sense, in the sense, you seek no other sense, figurative or, or, or metaphorical. If it makes sense, you keep that sense. And then what you do is you discover the context which this passage of in. And how you determine context is you look at a few verses before and a few verses after, and you adapt context. And then to get a greater sense of context, you look at a chapter 
or two before and a chapter or two after and get a broad scope of context. You look at the setting of the book in light of the books that it's set there with in light of the whole Bible. That's called king context. And when you apply king context to the plain sense of a text and you get the common plain sense of it, you can accurately interpret what the Bible's saying. Now, because I've got you thoroughly confused this morning, let me help you and break it down and make it simple. This passage, with those two golden rules of interpretation, context and the sense of the text, simply is a passage where God is making promises. This text, I don't know if you caught it, But this text is promising Gentiles. Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Come on, that's everybody. I didn't say Baptist. I didn't say Pentecostal. I didn't say Methodist. I didn't say white. I didn't say any other ethnicity. I said, raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Do you want to know what a Gentile is? A Gentile is anyone other than a Jew. That's all of us in this room. Oh, you may have done Ancestry.com or 23andMe, and you may have found out that you had a little bit of Jew in you. But to be a Jew meant to be full-blood Jew. Anything else was a half-breed, was a Gentile. Here's what this passage is promising. This passage is promising that the Gentile lands who have been in darkness, who have been in utter bondage, are going to see a great light. Hello, somebody. If you've ever been in darkness, you know what it means when your darkness was finally shattered and penetrated by a light. I know I'm grateful for the light that shone in my life 18, 19 years ago. There I was, a three-time convicted felon facing a life sentence in Cattle Parish, Louisiana. I will never get tired of bragging on the Lord. When the drug dealers didn't want me, when my friends didn't didn't want me when the court systems didn't know what to do with me, when rehabs couldn't get me straight, when mental institutions, when nobody else wanted me right there on a jail cell floor, broken on bowed and bending knees. Jesus Christ, the light of the world shone in my heart. He's shown in my life. He wanted me. He saved me. He healed me. If you've ever been in darkness, you could get excited about the light. If you're a preacher and you can't preach about the light, you need to give up preaching. I remember what it was to be in darkness, darkness in a marriage, darkness in my finances, darkness in my relationships, darkness in my integrity, darkness in my heart, darkness in my mind. I remember that. So it's easy for me to get excited and to preach about the light because I know, listen, all you got to have, ask Pastor Tony, he's an avid outdoorsman. You can be digging around in your backpack on your way to your deer stand early in the morning and you forgot your flashlight and that big bright headlight he's got that he bought from TP Outdoors. It looks like he could land an airplane with it. Hello, somebody. One day he's going to forget that bad boy and it's going to be so dark out there. Ain't going to be a full moon like we are right now. Watch this. He's going to look in that backpack, and he's going to find some old little $4 flashlight that he bought down here at the kangaroo gas station with a pair of 12-year-old AA batteries on it. And look, he's going to hit that button, and the battery's still going to work. And that one little old ugly, rusty, dirty, dingy beam of light's going to shine out of that flashlight, and it's going to change everything about that experience. It's easy for me to talk about that because I remember what it was to sit in darkness and to have that one little old jacked up, that one little old rusty beam of light shine in and it changed everything. The light shined in and this promise from God in its context is God promising us Gentiles that one day a great light is coming. You didn't see that in that passage, did you? Okay, now watch this. As he goes on down through this passage, he begins to talk about when this light shines, that a joy comes right in behind this light. That when the light all of a sudden illuminates the darkness, you get happy. You were groping in the dark. You couldn't see. And all of a sudden the light comes and you can see the mud hole. You can see the problem. You can see the brokenness. You can see. I don't know where this is going. Help me, Holy Spirit. You can see and it makes you happy because now you know 
know the path that you must take. Joy comes in. And he said the joy is so powerful. Listen to this prophetic, poetic verse. It says the joy is like men after they've won a war and they're out there dividing the spoil. Has anybody ever been given a gift, ever been blessed, ever won something that you didn't deserve? And you were like, man, I can't believe Wow, how in the world did I get so fortunate, become so blessed? I feel that day, and I try to help my wife know this. More so, the older that I get, try to let my wife and my children know that every day. Do you want to know why? Because I could just as easily be in Angola serving a life sentence, not be here today, not married to that woman, and not have those children, not have the joy, the privilege to being here today. And I don't ever, I feel like I hit the jackpot every day I wake up and look at her. And you think I'm saying that because she's a pretty lady on the outside, a beautiful lady. Listen to me, the beautiful woman inside of her is ten times more beautiful than the woman she is on the outside. I'm telling you, I mean, I get so happy, I feel like I hit the jackpot every day. She just been polishing on me with that one of them little polishing rags, getting all them little rough edges off. She even does that gracefully. And then the, the poetic, prophetic literature begins to talk about that, that all of a sudden this light's going to shine and these Gentile people are going to be delivered from their burden and their bondage and joy's going to come in and the joy is, is, is going to be like winning the lottery, so to speak, like hitting the jackpot, dividing the spoil. And, and, and the joy is going to be like when men took their weapons that they once used for war and threw them in a pile and used it as fuel for a fire, burn it all up, and then watch this. You ready for this? One more transition, one more segue. Okay, we're talking about light we're talking about joy and it says here is the fulfillment of the light coming to the gentiles and the joy the gentiles will have you ready for this for unto us a son will be born unto us a son will be given not just to the jew but to all of us there will be a son given and the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called wonderful and counselor and mighty god and everlasting father and prince of peace and listen of this and of the increase of his government there will be no end and this son will sit on the throne of David and he will rule over his kingdom to bring order and justice he will establish it from the time that he shows up on the scene forever last promise are you ready for this last promise and the zeal of the Lord will perform it has anybody ever had somebody make you a promise and them not keep their promise. My wife says, oh, I know somebody, buddy. <laughs> and usually, my broken promises revolve around two things. Preaching and deer hunting. <laughs> and if she gets mad about two things, it's about preaching and deer hunting more than anything else. But you promised us you would be at the birthday party on Saturday with four-year-olds eating unicorn poop. <laughs> I didn't even know there was such thing as unicorn poop, but now I understand that they have unicorn party favors, unicorn hats, unicorn napkins, and they have little bags of, like, cotton candy, little different colors, and the bags say unicorn poop for people to have unicorn birthday parties and the kids get to eat unicorn poop. Now, for me, for me, I am as uninterested in a four-year-old birthday party eating unicorn poop as you just were. I would much rather be preaching or much rather be hunting. My wife says, but you gave me your word. And it might be somebody in the church that I don't even know that I know that I know them. Well, we need to be there. I'm like, baby, there's 1,500 people in the church. I can't be at everything. A brother got to have a life, too. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but you promised me. You promised you was coming home. For, if you just killed one big one, you would come home. I said, but, baby, there's a bigger one. I got him on trail camera. Can I just stay? You stay. But when you come home, I might not be here. 
Well, your mom and daddy don't live a few miles down the road. I'll come get you from there when I get home. Come get you from there when I get home. <laughs> Can I just be real today? Have you ever had somebody? It's easy because I'm talking about my life. Have you ever had somebody make you a promise and not keep their promise? Do that. And sometimes people will promise you something and do the exact opposite. Makes me want to take this podium and chase them down and throw it on them. Throw it through their car windshield. Don't stand up here and tell me you're going to do this. Tell me you don't know. Tell me you might. Tell me you pray about it. Exactly. That's why my truck's messed up. You hush. <laughs> Watch this. But here's what I love about this promise. We're just talking. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? You can read a passage like this, and it can seem so, so, so out of date. It can seem so irrelevant that, that if this was our morning Bible study, we could just blow right by it and think, man, there's nothing in that for me in 2018, 19. There's nothing for me in that that's relevant. But if you just take a moment and you, and you don't just read the Bible, you read the Bible. And can I be honest with you? You don't read this book. This book is intended to read you. This book is intended when you spend time in it, it shows you what's in you, what's right in you, what's wrong in you. But when we slow down and we just look, isn't it amazing that all this is just in this one passage? But here's what I love. At the end of these promises of light and joy, through a son who will sit on the throne of David and bring justice forever. There's one last promise that says, and the zeal of the Lord will perform it. Not my daddy will perform it. Not my husband will perform it. Not I will think about performing it. Not I'm, I'm committing to you. I swear I will keep my word. No, listen to this. The zeal. Has anybody ever met a zealous Christian? Has anybody ever met a zealous Christian? Somebody, here's what we used to say. You so heavenly minded, you know earthly good. People get born again. They get full of the Spirit of God. And, and, they, and they just, every time you see them, they're just talking about Jesus, talking about church, talking about prayer, talking about fasting, talking about the things of God. Did you know God did a miracle? Did you know what God did in Sarah's life? Did you see what he was doing? And then you just say, my God, can we just talk about the New Orleans Saints? Oh, excuse me, I'm in Mississippi. Can we just talk about the Saints for just a minute? Can we just have a normal conversation? You always talking about Jesus, always talking about the Bible. You so full of zeal, but you ain't got no common sense. You ever heard that conversation in the church world? You done got so heavenly minded. You ain't no earthly good. You don't know where to get outside if it's raining, but you know that book back and forth. We look at zeal as, a, as an intensity, a passion, a fire. But did you know that the Bible says God is a zealous God? Look at this, and it says the zeal, the excitement, like, hey, let's talk about the miracles. Let's talk about what God did in Sarah's life. That zeal, God is zealous. And the Bible says that the zeal of the Lord will perform every one of those promises. What promises? That we Gentiles will one day have a great light that will shine in our darkness. That will bring us a joy like no other joy we've ever had. And that light and that joy comes through a son. His name is Jesus. Jesus. He's the light of the world. He's the joy of our salvation. And God's zeal will perform it. God will keep his word. God's excited. 700 years before there was ever a Jesus. 700 years before there was ever a little boy born in Bethlehem of Judea in a shepherd's field in a manger where there was no room for him in the inn. 700 years before that, the prophets prophesied that it would happen. And they put this exclamation point on the promise. And God's zeal will perform this. God is excited about 700 years from now when all of a sudden, oh, oh, okay, go with me. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I want to hear it. Scroll down to verse 8. Luke 2 verse 8. 
God was excited about 700 years from Isaiah's prophecy. Now there were in that same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And look at this. The glory of the Lord shone around those angels. And all the people were greatly afraid. And then the angel said, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which is now to all people. For there will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a feed trough, laying in a manger. And suddenly when the angels were making this prophetic declaration, the fulfillment of God's promise, all of a sudden there was a great multitude of heavenly hosts saying, Glory to God in the highest. Now may there be peace on earth and may there be goodwill to all men. And you say, Pastor John, that's the Christmas story. That's the birth of Christ. What does that have to do with Isaiah 9? Well, what is Isaiah 9? Put the graphic back up there. What is Isaiah 9? It's a what? Isaiah 9, 1 through 7 is a what? Say it. I want everybody to say it. It's a what? And, and, And who is this promise coming from? From God. Now, he's delivering the promise through who? Isaiah, Isaiah's the prophet. God's making the promise. He's delivering the promise, this message, through the prophet Isaiah. But then the promise, which is from God, coming through Isaiah, since it's from God, and God promised, it's my zeal to fulfill it. I'm not like a man. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I'm not going to see another bigger deer on camera and back out on my word. I'm not going to stay an extra week at the revival. I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do because I'm God. He made a promise, and he's got to keep the promise. And if God makes a promise, this book will fulfill it and find it in Luke chapter 2. You can find it in Luke chapter 2. God made the promise, and then you find the fulfillment in Luke chapter 2. And the promise finds its fulfillment in a little boy by the name of Jesus. All right? Mr. St. James, I don't know if this is in your repertoire most every Sunday, but... If I could ask you today, I'm going to start circling the airport here. Could you play for a little, just play some keys for me, please, sir? Is there anybody else that plays key? Is it you, sir, please? You may be back there working on sound because I can tell you've been working on it, getting that ringing out and all that's great, beautiful. I'm going to ask him to start playing these keys because we're going to land this, we're going to land this plane. All that was just the introduction help me drop off the mail that God told me to drop off to Refuge Church today. All right? You ready for this? I need them to put one point up here. This light. Dot, 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 dot. Do you know what the dots insinuate? To be continued. That the statement is not finished. This message is a two-part message, point one and point two. I only want to deal with point one today. So far, here, here's what I've shared. Here's what I've shared. That God made a promise to humanity. That a light was coming. And this light was going to shine in the darkness. And that this light that was to shine in the darkness would be to all men. And that when this light was discovered, it would bring great joy, joy like we had never experienced before. And that promise finds its fulfillment in a boy that became a man that will one day be called King Jesus. Isaiah makes a promise. Luke records the fulfillment of the promise. Isaiah makes a promise. If you think you have found a contradiction in this book, it is only a sign that you have not discovered and read and learned and understood enough of this book. There are no contradictions in this book. God makes a promise in God not being like a man. 
He keeps his promise. So if God made the promise, the promise has to be recorded. It was recorded. Luke chapter 2. Let me talk to you about this light. Put the next statement up there. This light shone in a very particular place. How many of you have been guilty of reading the Christmas story before? And you think, you love that passage. Matter of fact, the church that God has given me the privilege to pastor in Rochester has stained glass. And one of the stained glass is a picture of Luke chapter 2. It's Jesus in a, in a manger. Mary, the Magi, Joseph, the animals all around the manger. I love this story, the Christmas story, the birth of Christ. How many of you have read this Christmas story passage before and, and, and thought that, that this glory, this message from the angels... These shepherds in the field was just some random place in, in, in the Middle East, in the land of Israel. How, how many of you would honestly say, does that really even matter? Doesn't, doesn't the angel showing up, announcing the birth of, isn't that all that really matters here? Well, it, 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 it does for the first five years of your Christianity, the first ten years. It, it matters until you get off of, of milk sometimes and you start getting into the meat. And I don't mean that slanderous or derogatory or cutting or demeaning towards anybody in any season or any walk in their life. What I'm saying is, is, that, is that God is trying to send a particular message by allowing this light to shine in a particular place. You say, well, I didn't see where it said a particular place. Well, here's what you've got to do you've got to read context pastor Ted and what you find out is Joseph the supposed father of Jesus but he wasn't the father of Jesus betrothed to a little girl maybe 14 15 16 17 years old Mary pregnant by the Holy Spirit were under a census a taxation from the ruler of the land and they had to go to their family's hometown which is Bethlehem the house of bread the city of David to be counted because that's where they were from and what you find out when you read Luke 2 more in context is that is that in, ready for this? You missed it. It was in the passage. Now in the same country, there were shepherds living out in the field. What same country? Bethlehem of Judea. Oh, if you've never been to Israel, you may never know this. But but the land of Israel is, is, a, is, a, is a land with many hills and many mountains. There's not a whole bunch of fields out there. In other words, there's not a place for sheep to be raised. Or lambs to be raised, except in one particular area outside of Bethlehem of Judea. And that was called then the shepherd's fields. And guess what? When you go to Israel now, you'll still discover that right outside of Bethlehem of Judea, there are still the shepherd's fields, hundreds of acres with caves in the sides where the shepherds would take the lambs out there, the sheep out there, and raise them through all of the weather permitting months, lead the sheep into a cave, lay down in the mouth of the cave by night to keep the bear away, the wolf away, the lion away, and then in the mornings the shepherds would wake up and they would call their sheep out one by one by name, leading them out in the shepherd's fields. Now, do you know why those shepherd's fields are so important? Because Jewish men and women scattered all over the earth under harsh persecution. But they were commanded in the law of Moses to report to the Temple Mount of Jerusalem three times a year. Three feasts. One of those feasts that every Jew was commanded, it was like Christmas to us. The most important feast was called Passover. And if you were a Jew and you lived in another part of the world and you had to show up in Jerusalem and you had to bring a sacrificial lamb, it would be awfully hard for you to walk hundreds of miles, thousands of miles, ride your donkey with your wife and your children, toting your little lamb with you. So what Moses did is Moses permitted in the law that when you got to the temple, you could buy your sacrifice. Josephus, the early church historian, says this, that in those shepherd's fields, they would raise upwards of 700,000, 800,000 lambs because at Passover, they would march those lambs 10 miles right up to Jerusalem and they would sell those lambs to the pilgrims coming to make pilgrimage to sacrifice 
as the lamb. Now, see, here's what I want you to know. Now, in that same country, there were shepherds living out in the field. And all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord shone around them and says to you this night, a promise will be fulfilled and kept. To you, a son will be born. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, you still hadn't got it. You ready for this? That light shone in a very particular place in the same country, Bethlehem of Judea, where they were birthing and raising the sacrificial lambs, announcing the birth of the sacrificial lamb. Behold, the lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. It wasn't some random happenstance chance that this light pierced the darkness and showed up and started announcing the birth of a son. Jesus' announcement of his birth showed up in the very fields where they were raising the sacrificial lambs to be slaughtered as a temple sacrifice for God to pass over sin, speakingly, prophetically about a blood that would come and be shed one time that would be so perfect and so efficacious that God would be able to forgive and remit sins. Here's what I want to ask you today. Aren't you still glad today that the light of God shines in a specific place? Watch this. In a particular place. Oh, let me bring it home right now. See, what I'm really asking you today is are there some dark spots in your mind? Are there some dark spots in your heart? Are there some dark spots in your soul? Are there some dark spots in your marriage, in your parenting, in your relationship? with God. God sent this young preacher to tell you today that he will shine that light in a particular place, that particular place where you won't let anybody see the real you, where you won't let anybody minister to you, where you've got the darkest night, where you've got the deepest wound, where you've got the hardest of heart. He will shine that light in a particular place, in a specific place. You got a couple of more minutes? This light shone in a particular place. But here's what I want you to know. This light, this light hadn't been seen in 600 years. I don't have time to give you a complete history lesson. But here's what I can tell you. Is that if you study the book of Ezekiel, you'll see one of the dangers of playing church. That up there on Temple Mount, Mount Moriah, the Jewish men and women were going through all of the religious calisthenics of church as usual. And one day, Ezekiel the prophet said he saw the Ark of the Covenant begin to illuminate with the Shekinah glory of God. He saw the Kavad Adonai. He saw the Doxakurion. He saw the glory of God get up off of the Ark of the Covenant. And it caught Ezekiel's attention. And he said, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, he saw the presence of God moved to the threshold of the door and looked back at the children of Israel gathered on the temple mount to see if any of them noticed that he was moving and then Ezekiel said he saw the presence of God move from the threshold through the eastern gate and then from the eastern gate over the Mount of Olives and the children of Israel never even noticed the presence of God was not in their church service he wasn't in their building anymore and they kept going through their little songs they kept going through their little sacrifices and God's glory left their land and left their church house. Did you know that? You can find all that in Ezekiel. There's a period. Let me see your book. Let me see a Bible. There's a period. How many divisions in this book? How many major divisions in this book? Seven. Right? I don't have time to explain that. How many, how, many, how many of you know that this book is split in two? An old covenant and a new covenant. Is everybody familiar with that? This book is not two books. This is not two stories. This is one book. This is one story. You can divide this book down into different poetic, history, prophetic, gospels, epistles. Yeah, you can divide this book down into it. This is one book, one redemption story. This book says the same thing from the beginning and the end. Through 6,000 years, hundreds of different writers from different 
land masses, different continents, men that never knew each other did tell the same prophetic story. Only a miracle. We couldn't tell. I couldn't tell you how my child was born over here. And you tell it to these 100, 200 people in here and get over here at the end and the story be the same. It's a miracle that they all told the same story. This book is divided in two. Do you want to know why? Because there's a period in the middle of this book called the intertestamental period. You want to know what the intertestamental period is? And I'm, I'm going to wrap it up. The intertestamental period is a period where God was angry. And God quit what? Quit talking. Don't you set up here today with that religious tone of voice. Some of you ain't talking to the person you're sitting beside. Some of you just had the biggest knockdown drag out before you got to church today. Some of you went to bed mad at each other last night. Didn't even talk. Don't act like you're holier than thou because God got mad at his creation and quit talking to him. He did. It's called the intertestamental period. And when his glory left the temple of the Temple Mount in Solomon's Temple and Cyrus let the Jewish people go under Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian and they went back and they built the temple again. The Ark of the Covenant never went back in that temple and the glory of God never went back in that temple. The next time that they ever saw the presence of God is when they brought Jesus eight days old because the prophet Simeon said, I saw his glory and they took him back up into the Temple Mount. God's glory never went back into that temple. But watch this. You ready for something? Watch this. Now, there were in the same country. What country? Bethlehem of Judea, the shepherd's fields. Shepherds out there keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, look at this. An angel of the Lord stood before them. And look at this. The glory of the Lord shone around the angels. Do you want to know what that word glory is right there in the Greek? Doxa, do you want to know what that is? The doxa, the doxa curion. Do you want to know what the doxa curion is? Is the kavad Adonai. Do you want to know what the kavad Adonai is? It's the El Shekinah glory of God. What are you saying to me, young preacher? I'm telling you that this light had not been seen in 600 years. Nobody had seen this glory from God in 600 years. And do you want to know where that glory showed up? It showed up right in the middle of absolute darkness. What I came to tell you today is I don't care how dark that spot is in your mind. I don't care how dark that spot is in your heart. I don't care how dark that spot is in your marriage, in your parenting, in your relationship that's been broken with your family members. I don't care how dark that spot of racism is. I don't care how spot, how dark that spot is of adultery is. I don't care how, here's what I read in the Bible, where sin did abound, grace would abound much more. And what I'm trying to get you to see is when God's light shined, it shined in a particular place, in a specific place, but it also shined in a place where it was utter darkness, absolute darkness. There had been no light for years. And even if you're here today and you feel like you've been in darkness, every Sunday, every Wednesday, every overflow, every conference in you. Never had the light of God shine in. Today is your day, my friend. Today is the day that God will light up the darkness of your heart. God will light up the darkness of your spirit, the darkness of your soul. Do you want to know why? Because he said, I am the light of the world. Just like I am the Lamb of God, I am the light of the world. And those that come to me, they shall never walk in darkness. I got to go. Got to go. Here's what I want you to know. That this, this light that shined in a particular place, that shined in utter darkness, was now to all men. Watch this. The angel said, do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will now be to all people great joy, good tidings. Last time I checked, that, that's called good news. Last time I checked, good news is called the gospel. I've taken every pill known to man, and ain't no pill out there can do you like the gospel. It's good news. It's good news for your mind, good news for your heart, good news for your soul. He said this light is now to all the world. Maybe you remember Paul saying this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation for the Jew first, and then for the Gentile. Baby, this light is for everybody. It'll 
will shine in a particular place. It will shine through the darkest of night. And when this light comes, it will be from the front of the room to the back of the room, from the left side of the aisle to the right side of the aisle, from the White House to the church house to the crack house to the jail house to the courthouse. This message is for everybody. Watch this. Last one, last one. I'm landing. This light, this light announced, signaled a new key. Give me two different keys. Give me old, dull, boring, bland key. Now give me a new key. Oh, do that again. Old covenant. I'm mad. I'm quitting talking to you. You won't listen to me. You won't do right. You don't act right. I don't want your sacrifice. I don't want your church services. 600 years goes by. Looks like God's through. He's not coming back. Marriage can't be restored. Never going to be healed. Everything's over. New key. What? I thought you were done with me, God. I thought you were giving up on us, God. I thought you walked out on us, God. Look at this. This was a a new key. This was a new element of God's message to the earth. Can I show it to you? Watch this. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. I need you to see this. Out in a shepherd's field. I wish you had been there. Complete darkness of night. Utter blackness. All of a sudden, this angelic host, the glory, the kabod. Y'all remember that? We used to sing about it. Let your Shekinah glory come down. We used to sing about the Shekinah glory. All said, hadn't been seen it. Woo! Angels. And can I tell you? Their praise, glory to God in the highest. And then they stopped and they looked at the men and they said, peace on earth. And goodwill to all men. God was announcing the war was over. God was announcing he was ready to end the argument. He was ready to start talking after years of prophetic silence. What God was saying was, this is a new key. This is a new day. What God is saying, my friend, is that you've not gone too far for me. You thought I gave up on you, and you gave up on you, but I didn't give up on you. What I had was a lamb slain next to me before the foundations of the earth, and you thought your sin caught me off guard. You thought you caught me by surprise, but I already knew what was in man. The heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked above all things, and I knew there was none righteous, none that would seek me, none that would serve me as God. So I prepared a son, the word of God, as a Lamb of God, and after 600 years, 700 years, I'm ready to announce a new sound. I'm ready to announce a new message. The war is over. I'm not mad at you. Peace on earth. Goodwill to all men. I love you. I bought you. I will redeem you. I will restore you. All you have to do is let me bring the light. Let me bring the light. Let me bring the light. Here's what I want you to do today. I want you to stand up on your feet. How many of you would be honest today? Just be honest. Say, you know what? There are a few particular areas that I really could use a red light. Not Pastor John. God. Some of you, you're the home folks. You're Sunday morning. This is preaching to the choir. A lot of your life is... It's better than most. It looks swell. 